Hey there, friends. Welcome back to the third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast. If you haven't already done it, go ahead and click that subscribe button. We hope that you'll check us out also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok and find out more about content. Of course, we encourage you to also check out the website at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's program. For our third season of the Ray Reynolds Rap Podcast, we've decided to do a couple of things that will help in you strengthening your own personal walk with God. And so uh, one of the things that we're going to do is we're going to be very intentional in the way we present the gospel message. Uh, And we're hoping that through some of these lessons that you will have a desire to grow more spiritually. Uh, And to help us with that, we are going to deal with some tough questions. Uh, In some broadcasts, you'll hear me talking about subjects that maybe even your preacher or uh, Bible class teacher is afraid to to discuss because of the basically the sensitiveness of that particular lesson. And the second thing that we're doing is we are encouraging people to read their Bible all the way through. And so to help us with that, we are doing surveys of New Testament books. Some of the lessons will be one lesson. Some of them will be uh, two or three or four lessons, depending on the size of the book and the contents. But right now we want to present to you one of those lessons on a New Testament book. I encourage you to grab your Bible and study along. If you got a notepad, piece of paper, highlighter, that'll probably help as you begin to make notes and think about uh, how you want to read this book from cover to cover. And I hope that it's a blessing to you. So tonight we are in uh, the book of Acts, and we're going to begin in chapter 18. And last week we kind of went through most of the second missionary journey. And I I said that I love, remember, I I love this. I remember as a kid uh, opening the back of my Bible and seeing those maps. And in fact, this Bible has them, most of your Bibles do. And I would trace along with my fingers all of those missionary journeys that Paul took. Some were highlighted in color. Uh, I prefer the ones that are each individually their own map because sometimes I would get confused. But I I love the fact that uh, the people who have put our Bibles together have given us an opportunity to kind of see the order in which they went. Now, one of the reasons why I love studying the book of Acts like we're doing tonight is because we're able to see that these other letters from Romans on all the way up until the book of Jude were written to individuals or to churches that are either highlighted in the book of Acts or connected to either a congregation or a person in the book of Acts. And as we go forward, we'll see the church in Rome growing. We'll see the church in Corinth, which we're going to talk about tonight. And as we move through all those New Testament letters, we see these are churches where Paul went, where Peter went, where James went, and where the gospel was spread. And we're introduced to another character tonight that often is overlooked, overshadowed by many of the other, what we would consider to be major players in the New Testament church, major characters in the New Testament church. But the man Apollos is going to come off the page to us, and we're going to say, well, who is this guy, what did he do, and why was he great as a leader of the church? And all those things come out uh, in our study this evening. Now, just to backtrack a hair, when we started our second missionary journey, we noticed that they were in Achaia, they were in Philippi, that's where the Macedonian call is answered, and Dr. Luke joins the journey. Paul and Dr. Luke, and also Silas, and probably a handful of others that are intermingled throughout those journeys, have made their way through Philippi, where they converted the jailer there. They converted uh, his household, Lydia, and her household. 
and we maybe the slave girl who's a part of that story as well, but other individuals in Philippi had helped to grow that church to the point that Paul has to write the letter to them, which we're studying on Sunday mornings. And then we moved over to Thessalonica and Berea, and we talked about how uh, the churches there were growing, and one of the things that the churches were known there for, specifically the Bereans, were that they loved to study the scriptures. And that's referencing the Old Testament scriptures. And that means that they were recognizing the things that the church was doing, that Paul was doing, and they were then in turn seeking out the prophecies of the Old Testament. And that's why we take so much time in Acts 2, just a couple weeks ago, to point out all the prophecies from Isaiah, from Micah, from Daniel, um, from Malachi, from all these great prophets in the Old Testament, giving us scripture after scripture to prove how the New Testament church would come into existence, specifically Joel that Peter's preaching from in Acts chapter 2. He quotes it verbatim. And so these are brethren who are searching the scriptures. And later on, as they get the books of the New Testament, they're going to search those books as we search today to make sure that everything is taught as according to the Word of God. And then we landed in Athens, where Paul is delayed for a short time, but ends up using it to his own advantage to preach on what seems to be some kind of a pagan lectureship, some kind of a philosophical conference of some kind, to put it in our language. And he gets the opportunity to take the pulpit, and he talks about the one true God. And, and, you know, we talk about how great that sermon is. I want to remind you of the boldness it took to stand in the presence of maybe hundreds of people that did not think like he did and did not know about the New Testament church. And so when you're given an opportunity, you're given a platform, literally, if you will, to share the good news, you take it. You take it and you say what needs to be said. You speak the truth and you speak it in love. But you, you talk about the goodness of God, you talk about the mercy of God, and you talk about the salvation offered in Jesus' name. And that is, that is one of the reasons why the church there would end up thriving, was because Paul had already set the groundwork among some of the leaders. And oftentimes, you know, we really quickly want to get into, as a church is established, and it, maybe some of you remember when this church was established not long ago, and it, at first, you always, you're consumed by numbers. You go, well, we're not growing. We've got to get so many people here. But it's really about the spiritual growth of the people. The numerical growth will come in time. We don't get caught up in all the numbers. We're not all going to be a church in Jerusalem on Pentecost. And so the most important thing is to lay this spiritual foundation. And when Paul went into cities, he made contacts with people. He identifies with certain groups of people, including those in the synagogues, which plays a very important part, because, by the way, uh, synagogues were only used on Saturday for worship, so there's a building that could be used on Sundays. We knew a church that uh, was starting off in a community, and they went to the Adventist church. They said, y'all don't meet on Sunday. Could we rent your building? And they said, absolutely. And they rented their building on Sundays, used their classrooms, and they took an opportunity to teach the children about some of the things that were on the walls that were not correct and ended up converting members of that congregation, Adventist congregation, that became members of the New Testament church and started assembling on Sundays to see what was going on there. And that happens from time to time. If you identify with someone who is a Jew and you have a conversation with them and you talk about God and you also talk about the prophecies of the Old Testament, it doesn't take too long to do the same thing Philip did when he met the Ethiopian eunuch. You're going to eventually come to the Messiah, and when you do, you have to talk about Jesus. So remember those things as we begin to go on through the rest of the book of Acts. 
we come to the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth and Ephesus are going to play a major role moving forward in the New Testament church because there are people that cross the paths of these two major cities and help the churches in those communities to grow. Ephesus specifically ends up being a hub of activity. And one of the reasons why it was a hub of activity is because so many New Testament Christians would go there and visit and for whatever reason wanted to stay. This was a community that was so well loved that the Apostle John ends up settling down there and basically we could say he retires from full-time preaching. He serves as an elder of the church. He teaches Bible class and all the things that are necessary and doing that grows the church there in Ephesus. Mary Magdalene has a heavy presence in Ephesus. We believe that she died there, so she had a ministry there. Jesus' mother Mary lived in Ephesus in John's house and died in the city of Ephesus. Timothy, the preacher, who we have two books written to in our New Testament, lived and preached in Ephesus. Also Epaphroditus, uh, Philemon. These are other characters mentioned in the New Testament that have connections to the church at Ephesus. So it's no wonder that we have the Gospel of John probably written for material to be taught and preached from the pulpit in Ephesus. We have First and Second Timothy. We have the book of Ephesians. We have the book of Revelation, all written to the church in Ephesus. And that's because these cities become major hubs. We don't hear a lot about the church in Jerusalem when we get to these sections because Luke is showing us that as the gospel goes around the world, new congregations were planted. And it's important that we remember as we're trying to grow a church here that we also lift up and encourage other churches that are trying to do the same thing. Uh, we may not, we, some of us may have come here from another church Christ. We say, well, we're here now. We need to be careful that we don't just condemn another church unless they're teaching something that is false. And whenever I go and visit new communities, I love to visit the Church of Christ in that community. I love to visit new congregations. I like to meet the preacher. I like to meet the elders. I like to see the material that is taught there. I'll tell you a quick story real quickly. Sunday morning, as we were entering services here, Missy was talking to this couple, and she says, you got to meet this couple. They're from Somerdale. And so I walked back there, and she says, these are, these are people from Somerdale. And I said, how did you find us? And she says, we visited in 2005. It's been a long time ago. But she said, we visited in 2005, we loved it, but we, we just didn't come back because we were searching other churches. But she said, every, it seems like every month we get this little newsletter, and it's not, it's not every month, is it? It's like once a quarter. But she says, almost every month we get this newsletter, house to house, heart to heart. And she said, we love that thing. We can't wait to get it. We can't wait to read it. And so we decided that after we got this one, we were going to come to church again and visit. And she said, we're hoping that we'll make a connection with you so that we won't just be our neighbor or postal uh, postal carrier, or what is it, what it says on the top of your thing, postal customer. Uh, yeah, that's right. So she said, we don't want to be just our neighbor. We would love for you to know us by name. So we want to know you by name. So hopefully they will continue to come back. But one of the great things is within other churches of Christ is we have kind of this network and we can encourage other congregations. Some of you probably, if you're from somewhere else, you're still friends on Facebook, or you may have phone numbers of people that you call and check on them from another church. And so we need to build up the kingdom. And that's really one important part of Acts that is overlooked. That these were churches that were working in harmony, and the preachers that were traveling from region to region were starting a church and then moving to another one. Paul is just one individual missionary, and Silas on this third, second and third journey are just one of several missionary teams doing this. But Dr. Luke's recording it because he is going along with Paul 
on most of these. So when we come to chapter 18, we, we read about the ministry in Corinth. It says, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a certain Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to depart from Rome. And he came to them. So let me put a little footnote here. One of the reasons why they had left Rome and left the Italian provinces was because of a persecution against the Jews. And oftentimes in the first century, and even in the early part of the second century, sometimes the persecution against the Jews also became a persecution against Christians because they had a hard time deciphering between the two. And, and oftentimes we do this. We see somebody in a, of a particular faith, and we qualify them as everybody's like that, of that particular denomination. But once we get to know certain people and learn a little bit about them, we find out that different denominations have a lot of, uh, you know, legs out there. You know, they have a lot of individual patterns, and this church may be different from this church. And so in the Judaism, in, among Judaism, the Jews in the New Testament, there are individuals who are Christians that are Jewish by their, by their nature, or at least by their lineage, their family lineage, their race. And so they continue to associate with them even though they are Christians. And like I said earlier, sometimes Paul makes this a practice in a few cities. The church met in the synagogue on Sunday. And so therefore, when the persecution comes down to the Jews, Christians are involved. So these individuals, this family, husband and wife, leave the Italian province or at least uh, part of what we would say Roman province and come to a place of safety in Corinth. There are several cities like Corinth in our New Testament. And these are cities where many uh, men, military men, for instance, for whatever reason, would decide to get out of their profession and they would move to a city like Corinth because it was culturally rich. This is a place that if you're retiring, you've got the arts, you've got the libraries, you've got uh, music, you've got all kinds of things that are available to you for entertainment in a city like Corinth. So I think about this and I think about Corinth, Mississippi. <laughs> There's a lot of people that retire in Corinth, Mississippi. And so it helps me to remember this is a, a retirement town. A lot of older people that are dwelling there and bringing in the money, okay, that's helping keep the city going. So verse 3, so because he was the same trade, he stayed with them, that's Paul, stayed with Aquila and Priscilla, and worked for by occupation. They were tent makers. And until now, we really didn't know what Paul's profession was outside of working uh, for the Sanhedrin and the work that he did before he became a New Testament Christian, which obviously, according to Acts 9, after he became a New Testament Christian, he was, he was hated by the Jews. And so he has to develop a profession. His profession is making tents. Now, if in, in many respects, that's kind of a dying trade in the age that Paul is living in. But it also was a very important trade for people that traveled. A lot of people, if they had homes, they didn't need to have tents. So this is kind of one of those trades that's kind of phasing out. But it's like when you have something that you need and you have to go out there and look for it, it's frustrating. Uh, it, like, for instance, when I moved to this area, I, I didn't think about it much, but I know at, our, at Walmart they, they quit selling all the fabric and things like that. We've got a place down here, fabrics by the pound, and you know what it means? Fabrics by the pound. So if you're into that kind of stuff, you go there now. You don't go to 
You can go to Hobby Lobby or something like that, but it's neat because some places have certain things available. They have a whole corner on the market. So when they were doing these tents, it would be for uh, individuals in the marketplace that were setting up tents and selling goods. So in doing that, he has a lot of contact with people in commerce. It's also for people that travel quite frequently out in the desert, making trips, caravans. These are people who have herds that they're moving from one location to another. So those are the kinds of tents that he would have made. And so he gets to meet a lot of interesting people during this. And so he uses that, as he will also, we'll see in a moment, in Ephesus. He uses the fact that where he is and what he's selling to make contact with people to share the gospel. If you are a disciple of Christ, it doesn't matter what your profession is, you're still a minister of the gospel. You're talking to people about Jesus. And it says, And he reasoned in the synagogue, verse 4, every Sabbath, and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. That means that on Saturday, he was in the assembly with the Jews, and he took every opportunity to open a Bible, open the, the Old Testament, and prophesy, preach from it. And then on Sunday, he met with the Christians. It says, when Silas and Timothy had come from Macedonia, Paul was compelled by the Spirit and testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. It kind of gives us an idea that he became a little more bold. And most of us are probably more bold when we say something if there is someone with us that is in agreement. If you've got somebody that agrees with you, you can be a little more bold. But if you're the only person in the room that holds that opinion or you, you, you believe something, it's very difficult to speak out. So Paul becomes more emboldened in the way he preaches when Silas and Timothy are both with him. It says that they opposed him, that's the Jews, uh, and blasphemed. He shook his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am clean. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. couple things there. One is he's already said that he was supposed to be an apostle to the Gentiles, Acts chapter 9 is the, the message that Jesus gave to him, apostle to the Gentiles, a chosen vessel. Ananias actually reconfirms that, and some of that will come out in the uh, retelling of his conversion story in the other chapters here. But the other thing is, he uses a phrase that was spoken at the cross. Do you remember whenever the Jews were ready to crucify Jesus, what they said? Let his blood be on us and our children. So Paul, if he's reasoning that Jesus is the Christ, he's saying the same thing Peter said in Acts 2. Jesus is Lord and Christ. And when they reject it, he says, your blood's on your own heads. And so he uses a phrase that is used by the Jews at Jesus' trial and then his subsequent um, crucifixion. It says, and they, he departed from there and entered into the house of a man named Justice who worshipped God whose house was next door to the synagogue. I know I hate to keep pausing after every verse, but this is, to me, it's one of the, it's hilarious uh, because Paul says, I am never going to step foot in this building again. So he moves in next door. And that's great because he says, I will not come in here. I'm not going to preach in here anymore. I'm not going to be in this place. I am done. And then he moves into the parsonage next door. Someone who is a, a Jew who's a leader of the synagogue, he stays there in that house. Sometimes the effectiveness of spreading the gospel is not always in a public forum. It is one-on-one. -on -one. Justice plays a part of the story later in the book of Corinthians. So it says, Then Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed 
and were baptized. So he, he converts the leader of the synagogue, and he converts a handful of these other families. And did you notice what it says about their salvation? It says, and they believed and were baptized. What does Mark chapter 16, 16 say? Jesus says, believe and be baptized. What is the command that Peter makes in Acts chapter 2? Repent and be baptized. So the same pattern that was taught in Acts 2, the, the same pattern that Jesus told them to follow is the same here in Corinth. Now moving on down a little bit, we find in chapter 18 and verse 24 that Apollos is another character that comes to the front. This is someone who had a connection to Aquila and Priscilla. It says, a certain Jew named Apollos born in Alexandria, that means he's from Egypt, an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. And this is where Paul has left now Corinth. He's gone to Antioch and he's moving his way towards Ephesus. And this is going to move on to chapter 19. But it says that um, this man had been instructed in the way of the Lord. Being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord that he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. So it is a man who's preaching. He thinks he's doing a good job, a good work. And he finds out that he's missing a key part of salvation. New Testament church, the salvation of Christ covered by his blood and being raised in the spirit. So that part is important because we see Apollos later in Corinthians. And we're going to start out that first chapter in Corinthians, and we're going to see this Crispus, and we're going to see Gaius, and we're going to see uh, Apollos, and we're going to see Peter, who's called Cephas. And we're going to see Paul because they were all going to this church and starting to get it moving in the right direction. So we move to 19, and it says, And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth that Paul, having passed through, to the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what then were you baptized? So they said, Into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. And he went to the synagogue and spoke there boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God, that is, the church. Verse 9, But when some of them hardened their heart and did not believe, he, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from them and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, that's important, we'll come back, and this continued for two years, so that all who dwelt in Asia heard the word of the Lord Jesus, both Jews and Gentiles. So the first part of the story is Paul meets these men. Uh, they are, quest they are brought, brought to question. Actually, Paul asks it first. Brought into question not the sincerity of their baptism, but the purpose of their baptism. There are a lot of people that feel that they are completely sincere in their faith. They believe they're good people. They love the Lord. They read their Bible. They want to, with all everything that is in them, go to heaven. 
But as they begin to reason together with Paul and search the scriptures, they find out that their baptism was not into the New Testament church, and it was not for the remission of their sins by the blood of Jesus, and it was not so that they could be uh, indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And so Paul explains to them they need to be baptized correctly. And so he says there are about 12 of them respond and are baptized. And I love the number 12 in the New Testament, very symbolic for the going forth of the apostles and the number 12. And so here we see Paul, he teaches these guys. And it's an important lesson for us that we don't just tell people you need to be baptized. We explain to them why they need to be baptized. Today on the internet I was reading about a story. There are three men uh, in this community that had read House to House, Heart to Heart, and uh, they had all come to the decision they need to be baptized in Christ. They were friends, so they had to reach out to a local minister. And he, when he met with them, they said, we know what we need to do. We want to be baptized for mission of our sins. We know exactly what we need to do. Well, he didn't just immediately take them to the water. The story says that he actually sat down with them and made sure they truly understood. Because there are people, and, and maybe you have been one of those before, that the more you pray about it and think about it, and the more that you search the scriptures, you say, you know what, I, I, I don't think I was baptized for the right reasons. And I need to be baptized into Christ. And so, uh, just like these men, you do it correctly. The, for, the, for the first time in your life, you'll have this great assurance that you don't have to worry about whether or not you're saved. And I can't tell you how many times I've had people call me. I had one just a few months ago. Sat down with me. We prayed about it. Wanted to be, re, wanted, we say rebaptized, but really it means baptized correctly. And baptize this person into Christ. And that happens a lot. Just want to make sure. And you've got to make sure you're calling an election. You need to, to test your faith and recognize that if you have taken the correct steps. And that water's there for a reason. Doesn't matter day or night. Um, I may be asleep, you know, but you can text me in the middle of the night and I would be more than happy to come up here, to come up here and do a baptism. I mean, it's exciting. I always tell people there's nothing more exciting than having your sleeves wet. It's great to be able to watch someone make that decision. So don't hesitate at all if you, if you question that. The other thing here, setting up the story of Ephesus, this is important because this is why Paul gets himself into trouble and ends up being arrested, as we read on down the road, is in his preaching and his teaching, for whatever reason, he tended to offend a handful of people. And that's what happens sometimes when you preach the gospel. You don't mean to. You're not trying to step on toes. But there were people in these communities, specifically a man named Alexander, who was a coppersmith, who actually dealt with the, the making of the idols, Diana, we'll read here in a second, who feels like his job is going to be threatened. And so Paul preaches about Christ and how you need to give up idols, and that becomes a, a real strong disagreement between the local community and him. So Paul says, you know, I'm going to preach here, I'm going to teach here, and the way that he does it is in the school of Tyrannus, or as they would have called it back in that day, the University of Tyrannus. This is a school, a, a designated part of the university that is in the city of Ephesus. And this, was a, this is a big deal. Don't miss that. This is a really big deal. He's preaching in the synagogues on Saturday in Ephesus, like he was doing in Corinth. He's preaching on Sunday in the New Testament church, wherever they were meeting at that time, which there are several. But when you have a church that is shepherded by John the Beloved and Timothy 
who you've trained to be a preacher is in the pulpit. And the ladies' ministry is led by Mary, the mother of Jesus, and Mary Magdalene. It looks like if you want to settle down and plant some roots, Paul, you need to find a new place to reach people. So he does it at the university. He does it in the school. This is a philosophical school, and he's well-versed in philosophy. And so he becomes a philosophical professor. Faulkner just appointed a new president today. His, his, his degree and his study is in law. He's been a law professor. But all of the accolades that were spoken of him today in the press conference was about his spirituality and about his, his role as a preacher, a teacher, and a bivocational minister. And this is someone who has tried to reach people in every place he is. I'm going to pause for a second and tell you a story Billy told me today. And they said this, Dr. Hillier said it today in the, uh, in the uh, press conference, is that um, in, in meeting with him to go through his will, they finished all of the important things, filling out this will together. And then uh, he looks at Dr. Hillier and his wife, and he says, now we've taken care of your physical uh, part of what happens when you pass, but what about your spiritual? And he said, we assured, Dr. Hillier said, we assured him we were ready spiritually. And he said, well, it gives me an opportunity every time I do a will with someone to talk about their spirituality, to make sure that they're ready uh, when they pass. And what a great way to, to minister to people when they're really in a tough spot. Sometimes when you go and make your will up, it's not because you're completely healthy. It may be that something's come up with your health and you're worried about it. You want to take care of it. So it's a good opportunity to talk to people. And so Paul says, I'm going to go to the university, I'm going to teach in the philosophy department, and I am going to reach people there. And he ends up using a secular institution named after Tyrannus, the word we get the word tyrant, and he sends out missionaries from that school. He converts them, and he turns them into preachers, and they go through the whole world. It really sets a tone for, we see now preachers training schools and universities today, Start off as uh, you know a small school, and then you build into something larger. And so Paul, it doesn't seem, has any desire to stay and plant roots forever. But for those two years, which in our uh, estimate, it would be at least four semesters of teaching, he made a lot of good inroads with people and, and led people to Christ and then taught them to be missionaries. And so when we go on down to verse 21, it says uh, all the things that they were doing and all the work that they were doing was causing some frustration to the people in Ephesus. It says, Paul proposed, uh, purposed in the Spirit when he passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I have been there, I must also go to Rome. I must see Rome. So he sent into Macedonia two of those who ministered with him, Timothy and Erastus, but he himself stayed in Asia for a time. And about that time, there arose a great commotion about the way. There's that term again in reference to the church. Many churches known for many terms here. The kingdom, the way, the church, the church of Christ. All those terms are used in our New Testament. It says, and, uh, as this commotion comes up, it says, verse uh, 24, a certain man named uh, Demetrius, a silversmith, who made silver shrines of Diana. See, there we go. Got this this guy who makes the silver that is used for the, um, for the, for the making of these idols. And uh, we mentioned earlier Alexander the coppersmith. A lot of these guys that were smithies, they made things into idols. And so it causes a problem when he comes preaching. It says, uh, so he made silver shrines of Diana. That's the temple 
the pagan temple in town. That's where the prostitutes were. And it says, brought no small profit to the craftsmen. His work is hindered. His financial work is hindered. So he called them together with the workers of similar occupation. And we know in Ephesus, I wish I had more of these slides because I could show you, they had guilds in Ephesus. Each individual group of people made a guild. This is how we get them today. Is one of the cities like Ephesus, Roman influence, makes a guild. They have a guild for uh, those that sew, those that do the smith work, those that uh, deal with uh, pottery, those that dealt with the arts, with the books that were being printed or, you know, by hand at that time, put on scrolls. Every single individual profession, and remember Paul's making the tents for them out in the marketplace, they had a guild that they had to be a part of. And so he knows if his finances are hurting in the guild, he speaks to the other members. Uh, here in our area, there are individuals that are members of these kinds of guilds. Uh, if they are into electric work, for instance, I know two people that are a part of that. They meet regularly and talk about some of the work that they're doing. Uh, and there are other, you know, doctors may get together uh, and teachers may get together for uh, uh, different purposes and reasons. So the, 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 the Smiths get together, all right, and they say we've got a problem. <clears throat> they begin to notice this issue. He says, uh, moreover, you see and hear that not only in Ephesus, but throughout almost all of Asia, this Paul has persuaded and turned away many people, saying they are not, uh, they are not gods which are made with hands. So not only is this trade of ours in danger of falling into disrepute, disrepute but also the temple of the great goddess Diana may be despised and her magnificence destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worship. Now when they'd heard this, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of Ephesus, or of the Ephesians. So the whole city was filled with confusion, and they rushed into uh, the theater with one accord, and they seized Gaius. There's one of those guys we're, we're going to have to remember as we get to the book of Corinthians. And Aristarchus, Macedonians... Uh, Paul's travel companions, and when Paul wanted to go into the people, the disciples wouldn't let him go in because this is uh, they they realize there's going to be someone that dies. There's there's such a friction, so they hold Paul back. And some of the officials of Asia, who were his friends, sent to him pleading that he would not venture into the theater. So it, it's a pretty large crowd. Remember, Paul has made some relationships with these people in the marketplace. He's built the tents for them. He's taught their children in the university. And so the officials, he's become someone of prominence in town. The officials are sending people saying, we know Paul would probably want to get involved with this, but if you see him, you tell him he better not come into this theater. And for whatever reason, these Christians, uh, Gaius and Aristarchus and a handful of others, were talking about Christianity. And so it becomes this this friction between the people that were like uh, uh, this man that's mentioned uh, here previously and others that are upset, they think that their temple is going to be torn down. And he stirs up the crowd. So some of the officials of Asia uh, do this. Now verse 32, uh, Therefore some of them cried one thing and some another, for the assembly was confused, and most of them didn't know why they'd even come together. Uh, this, this is what happens in mob mentality. Uh, if you get a few people all riled up and angry, in fact, I, I, I hate this, but when you see on television the looting in the streets and the destruction of property, and you'll see these hoodlums going from room to room, from business to business, 
And they're not out there protesting whatever is put on the bottom of the screen on the television. The only reason they are there is because they're strength in number. And somebody went door to door, hey, come with me. You can get 12 pair of sneakers and a free TV. Come on, let's go. And they start lining the streets and tearing stuff up because they know they're not going to get caught. And they tear up the cop cars and they tear up property and businesses. And it breaks hearts. It breaks hearts. This happened in Ferguson, Missouri as an example. Most of the businesses that were destroyed downtown were African-American business owners from people that were protesting the death of an African-American. And so they don't think about it. Sometimes people get so wrapped up in their mentality that they just go and they start just tearing things up. So these people come together and say, why are we here? Well, we're here because we're against Christianity. Oh, we thought we were here because of this. And they, they couldn't even figure out what the purpose was. And so they drew Alexander out of the multitude and the Jews put him forward. And Alexander motioned with his hand. He wanted to make a defense to the people. He got him to quiet down. But when they found out he was a Jew, all with one voice they cried out for two hours, great is Diana to the Ephesians. Great is Diana to the Ephesians for two straight hours. So when the city clerk had quieted down the crowd, he said, men of Ephesus, what man is there who does not know that the city of the Ephesians is temple guardian to the great goddess Diana. And he begins to tell the history of this temple. And for, for, for practical purposes, because our time, I'll tell you that what he does is he ends up talking about how this temple is great. Oftentimes people will talk about their, their connection to a building or their connection to a, a, a role or a mindset or a connection to a movement. What Paul is saying is not things about a building. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about salvation. And so it really wasn't about this temple at all. Now, he had spoken about how there is one God. He had spoken about the fact that we're not supposed to worship idols made with hands. But it's gotten out of control. And it's one of the reasons why Paul ends up having to leave here. He couldn't stay long in one city. Because in the good that he was doing... The devil was trying to tear up everything that he built. So as the story goes on, he ends up journeying on through Greece. Uh, it says that there was an uproar, verse 20, after the uproar, uh, verse 20, chapter 20, verse 1. Paul called the disciples to himself, he embraced them, and he departed to Macedonia. He realizes he can't stay. Now when he had gone over to that region, he encouraged them with many words. He came to Greece, and he does some ministry there, a lot of great work. He ministers in Troas. He goes to Miletus. These are some of the regions that are on our map here for the third missionary journey, if I can get there. So he's going through these cities. And when he goes from Troas to Miletus, he stops off in Ephesus, and he gives the, a message to the uh, older, to the preachers and to the, the elders. It says when he speaks to the elders specifically, he talks to the elders about the need for shepherds. Now, again, this is key. It's why we need to read the book of Acts from cover to cover and not just pick it apart. One of the things that Paul was doing in every city was what? Appointing elders. He realizes with wisdom bestowed upon by the Holy Spirit that the apostles were not going to live forever. And as they die out, they need good leaders. Paul also knows and preached that the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit would fade away. And so what those churches needed was not a reliance upon miracles to stay put, not a reliance upon prophecy and, and all these miracles that take place. It was not a reliance upon one apostle who was the head of that church. 
he emphasizes you need elders, and he gives them qualifications. Timothy, in fact, is given qualifications. Where did he preach again? Ephesus. That means the men that he meets with here meet the qualities of what Paul speaks to Timothy about the church in Ephesus in 1 Timothy chapter 3. It also speaks of him being here in Greece and in Crete. Again, another man, Titus, who was a great preacher, he gives qualifications to him, the same as he did in all the churches, to appoint elders in every congregation. And so he appoints these elders, and now he comes back through, and he gives them a great exhortation. He basically tells them he doesn't think he's going to see them again, and he reminds them that they were appointed by the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 28, Take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. The emphasis is not on Paul appointing them, but that they were appointed by the Holy Spirit. Paul probably already knew some of the problems that were going to come up in Corinth. The problem in Corinth was that when he came in and he preached, he converted a few people and he left. And then Apollos comes just to, to do some good work in Corinth. And he converted a few people and he left. And here comes Peter and he converts a few people and he leaves. And Paul gets word back, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that people said, they weren't saying I'm a Christian, they had saying I'm a disciple of Paul. I'm a disciple of Apollos. I'm a disciple of Cephas or Peter. And so he, he perceives that and he says, I want to remind you, not appointed by a man. You are appointed by the Holy Spirit. You were chosen. And by the choice given to the congregation to meet those qualifications, you men, you met these qualifications. And you have to take your role very seriously. And he says, I know that when I leave here, verse 29, savage wolves are going to come in among you, not sparing the flock. And so he reminds them they need to stand up, they need to speak up, and they need to remember that he says, verse 31, I was here for three years, and I didn't stop warning you about these things. So remember what you're called to do. And then it says in verse 37, after he talks to them, uh, he kneels down, he prays with them, and then it says that he weeps. They all weep together uh, in verse 37. And so then he decides to get on board the ship and make his journey. As he makes that journey, uh, it tells us in chapter 21, he's going to be arrested. He's going to be arrested for some of the same reasons that he had in previous uh, chapters, as he was often at the wrong place at the wrong time. This specific thing in verse uh, chapter 21, verse 26, is that he had an individual with him who was a, a Gentile, and they accused him of bringing this Gentile into the court of the Jews. That is, that in order to get there, you had to be Jewish uh, uh, either as a proselyte. I'm not even sure. Could the proselytes go in, Billy, to the court of the Jews? I think they had to stay in the court of the Gentiles. So this man had to have been born a Jew. He had to have been uh, uh, taught the Jewish teachings, and he had to be circumcised. And this man with Paul did not meet those qualifications. So they began to give him a hard time. They have him arrested for breaking a Jewish law. So Paul ends up, these next few chapters, trying to plead his case. In chapter 22, he gets up before the multitude, and he explains what really happened, or at least he tries to. And he, he then goes and takes his message to Felix, and later to Festus, and later to Agrippa. And these individuals, uh, Agrippa is an example, these, these individuals that he goes and he has to give these speeches to, it is simply to get access to the real Roman court. He's locked up in prison for several years. 
And in, in the time he's in one place, you know, for two years, uh, he's writing letters. He's taking the opportunity to write some of the letters in our New Testament. But he ends up finally getting his wish and heading to, uh, to Rome. In chapter 27, we read about that voyage. If you like seafaring uh, stories, you've got to read chapter 27. It's really compelling. He tells them on board the ship that God had spoken to him and told him that if they stayed on board and they did what was required, that not a soul would be lost. They throw cargo over. Uh, they, they, they shipwreck. And so he says, if you'll stay on board the ship, when we get there, everybody will survive. And luckily, uh, by the providence of God, they survive. There's also an interesting story in here about how they get up on this uh, island in Malta, and uh, they're putting sticks in the fire, and a viper jumps out and bites uh, uh, Paul's hand. And so uh, they start to think, oh, well, he survived the shipwreck, but look at this. He's going to die from a snake bite. And he doesn't. So it doesn't take too long before they start a rumor. He's going to live forever because he can outlive a snake bite. And in doing that, it's almost a bookend to Mark 16. Because Mark 16, it said that he who believes and is baptized will be saved. But then it also says that one of the things that they would do is they would be able to deal with poisons and snakes and all kinds of things. And Paul is fulfilling the prophecy of Jesus in Mark 16. He makes his way into Rome, and he begins to, to preach from his own house. A unique thing here in 20, uh, 28 is that he's able to rent a home and stay in that home and preach from that home while he's waiting on his trial. Now, <laughs> if you're going to court and you buy an apartment up the street, do you intend to go to court next week? No. You mean the Roman courts were backed up? Yeah, just like we have them today. You have a court case you want to take? We've got a date set for you, sir. It will be September 12th, 2024. And if you're here at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you're too late. You've got to be here at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. No, it's, it's, it's way out in, in, the, um, in, in the distance. So he rents a home, and he stays there under house arrest. And it is here where we leave the book of Acts. And it talks about his ministry. It said he uh, it came to pass after three days, Paul called all the leaders of the Jews together. He has a unity meeting. He says, men and brethren, though I have nothing done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, against our race, our nation, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And he begins to tell them that he's there to simply share the gospel of Christ and not to cause any strife with the Jews. doesn't matter. Everywhere he went, the Jews hated him. They wanted him dead. But it says, and as he was talking to them, he persuaded some of them, verse 24, and when they did not agree among themselves, they departed afterward, and Paul said one word to them. He said, the Holy Spirit spoke rightly through Isaiah, the prophet of our fathers. And that was, he says, go to this people and say, hearing you will hear and shall not understand, seeing you'll see and not perceive. And he uses a verse that Jesus quoted very frequently. He says, for the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, their eyes have closed, their lids or have eyelids have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn, so that I should heal them. And it says, Therefore let it be known to you that the salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will hear it! Exclamation point. Very similar to Stephen's sermon that got him killed. I wonder if Stephen's boldness inspired Paul in this moment to speak the same way that Stephen spoke. 
about how the Jews were rejecting Christ. And if they rejected him, the Gentiles would hear. And then it says, uh, as he said these words, the Jews departed, had a great dispute among themselves. And then Paul dwelt two whole years in his own rented house and received all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching of the things which concern the Lord Jesus Christ with all confidence, no one forbidding him. And Mark finishes, or Dr. Luke finishes with that phrase. So great things continued to happen. One thing I wish we had more time to talk about was Paul's telling, retelling of his conversion story. And as he retells his story, he actually makes a statement. He said that one of the things that was said to him by, uh, uh, by uh, uh, Ananias in uh, Acts chapter 9, it says that one of the things not listed in Acts 9, but listed later as he speaks, it says in chapter 22, Ananias said to him, what are you waiting for? Why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized. What? Calling on the name of the Lord. You need to get up right now and be immersed in the blood of Jesus. And you need to call on the name of the Lord. You need to repent and become a New Testament Christian. And so uh, Paul tells that story over and over and over through the book of Acts. He'll do it a few times in his letters, but probably the best, uh, I think, is chapter 22, when he really does a great job. Uh, he says some things in chapter 26 as well, but, but he really wanted to tell that story to every person he met. Thank you for tuning in to the Ray Reynolds Wrap Podcast, and specifically this study of New Testament books. If you have a specific Bible question that relates to the material we just covered, please feel free to email me that at rayreynoldswrap at gmail.com. We want to encourage you to tune into every broadcast, follow us on social media, and get regular updates on the content. Follow, subscribe, share, and set your notifications so you don't miss any broadcasts or blogs that are posted. Check out the website for free books and Bible study materials at rayreynoldswrap.com. Hope you have a wonderful day, and may the Lord bless you as you seek to maintain an authentic life in Christ Jesus. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, P.O. Box 314, Summerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214.